0: The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ in His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org.
1: Our scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 14, verses 12 through 21. And on the first day of unleavened bread when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of his disciples and said to them, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, and as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me For the Son of Man goes as it is written of Him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ.
0: Well, my name is Stacy Croft. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you. I'm the lead pastor here at This particular location of our church and one of the pastors on staff of our multi-location church, Christ Presbyterian Church. Um, One of the things you need to know about me, one of my top three movies is Braveheart. Um, You can ask me why later. Maybe it's because I spent some time over there and saw uh, when it came out, when it was out in theaters, uh, the movie regarding William Wallace and uh, freedom from... Uh, the tyranny of England, the Scottish rebels, and uh, maybe it was because I spent some time over there and saw it, maybe it was I had my first kiss to my now wife during that movie, I don't know, could be a lot of different things, but I'll tell you, one of the things about that movie that's powerful, it has themes of leadership, courage, lots of swords and horses, Uh, but there's a theme of betrayal that runs through that movie. It's actually really subtle. And there's a scene in which Robert the Bruce, you know, these are all real characters. There's very little we know about William Wallace. Actually, most of what we know is from a poet named Blind Harry, which is not good for history to have that as your historian. But, um, but most of what we know, we know at some point William Wallace was betrayed He was a freedom fighter that was really fighting the the British Army and at some point was betrayed. Now, in the movie, Robert the Bruce, who is one of the kings of Scotland, he would eventually outlive William Wallace and bring them into freedom. shows him actually betraying William Wallace. Now, that's not necessarily historical, but it's good for the movie. And he's faced afterwards, after he betrays Wallace, and he sees his face, and you just see and even describes it. It's beautiful. Robert the Bruce says, I saw it on his face in the battlefield, and it kills me now, and it eats me alive. And his father, who is this kind of corrupt man, is trying to encourage Robert the Bruce, and he says, all men betray, all lose heart, which all of a sudden, Robert the Bruce screams at his father, and everyone could probably hear it around. He says, I don't want to lose heart. As if to say, yes, I am a betrayer, but I don't want to lose heart. If there is anything I want you to hear this morning, it is that. It is the acknowledgement that we are reading about the betrayer, as he was called, Judas. But like him, we are all betrayers, but we do not want to lose heart. I do not want you to lose heart. Look, many of you in this room have suffered betrayal either been on the receiving end of it or have actually done that. It could come in many forms. We'll even, I'm sure, explore some of that this morning. Betrayal is different than disappointment. It's it's a deliberate breaking of trust. It's a deliberate um, destruction of what loyalty you have. And what this passage is to encourage us with is, which even ends itself in such a a difficult way, is to say, how do we find ourselves not losing heart because we're in Christ? Because we have someone who goes even beyond our betrayal to to keep us. You know, there's a book that was written called uh, Wounded Heart. It was written by Dan Allender. It was written to particularly those who've actually suffered abuse, those who've been at the hands of those who they trusted or felt loyal to and have been abused by. And he said, what happens in our hearts of betrayal is that self-protection is, in essence, the commitment to never be hurt again, to never be powerless, betrayed, or ambivalent in the way that we once were. Protecting oneself and relying on one's own resources for self-preservation has seemed like the only reasonable way to live in a fallen world. And so that's how we live, walled off, self-protected. And yet, the gospel teaches us the good news in light of all the news that we want to listen to. That's what the gospel means. In light of all the news that we hear about ourselves and everyone around us and watch, that we cannot really put our trust in anyone because we will all be betrayed. It's saying no. There is one that is faithful. There is actually good news in light of the fact that you have been betrayed and you are yourself in your heart disloyal and a betrayer, just like me. There's good news in light of that bad news. gospel is for that. And, And we actually read a passage here that's in anticipation of betrayal. That's what's powerful about this. We're not even just reading the betrayal itself yet. We're reading the anticipation of it. We get prepared to see it. And so there are actually very, three very, 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 very simple things that I want us to hear this morning. One is I want us to see the betrayer. I want us to see him. Two is that I want us to trust Jesus. And three is I want you to know that Jesus pursues betrayers. Why can we trust him? Because he pursues us. Look, this meal, it begins, it's kind of interesting, as many parts of the Gospel do, parts of the accounts of Jesus have people gathered around meals. There's a reason for that. And particularly, this meal was unlike other meals. This wasn't just an invitation to come. This is considered the Passover meal. It was a commemorative feast. In fact, thousands of pilgrims were coming into Jerusalem just to celebrate this feast. And they were looking all over the place for a room, you know, especially if you were not a a native to the area, you were asking for rooms, you were asking for lambs, you were asking for things to, to make this feast and to commemorate a massive event in the life of Judaism that was the exodus that was even the night before which is called the Passover it means that when Israel was in slavery this is all an account of the Old Testament It's almost like a a historical commemorative feast that the people of God were in Egypt they were in slavery and as God's final act to bring them out from underneath that slavery he said, I'm going to kill all the firstborn in the land. In order to, to preserve yourself, in order to make yourself distinct, known, you have to kill a lamb and put the blood on the doorposts. And as the angel of death would pass through the city, it would pass over, hence the word over, the household which had the blood. It would make them distinct. And the point was, That God's people were set apart because of this blood. And here's what's fascinating Judas is at this table eating. He knows the history, (laughs) he knows all of the things. Like, think about this for a moment. Jesus called Judas to ministry. Judas has been walking along for these three some years, being gifted to, to call people to himself, call people to repentance. To actually work healing. To cast out demons. To do the work of ministry. And he's sitting at the, one of the most intimate feasts that anyone could have. The Passover meal. That commemorates God's faithfulness. And here he is. The one who is considered in many ways the betrayer. And a lot of gospels, even this one, he's not even named. If you notice that in Mark, Mark doesn't even say his name. He's the betrayer in other gospel accounts, historical narratives. He's talked about almost in a cold, callous way, as if he is someone who is, you know, in a courtroom. And they say, Mr. Mr. Iscariot, will you rise? Judas is this character, but yet he is the one who performed all these acts. And here's the irony. What was the point of the Passover meal? It was to say, what makes the people of God distinct? Is it that they follow Jesus and do works of ministry? Is it that they name God? Is it that they, they, they could say, well, we, we have the tabernacle? Or is it that we say, we have the God who brings us to Egypt? No, no, no. The only thing that marked the people of God that night was the blood. The only thing. Was the blood on the doorposts. And yet for Jesus... What he's trying to get at here is, and, and what's highlighted through Judas's life is that he marks his life by what he can get from Jesus rather than who Jesus is. His distinction is the betrayer. And what is that? Disloyal trust. Because in betrayal it comes easier to feed our egos, even in ministry, even in good things that we do, through power, through success, than actually have Jesus himself. He's unnamed in this passage, and I think rightly so by Mark, to get us to see who is it. Who is the betrayer? We would know after this passage it would be Judas. But notice, even here they all say, they all say after he says, one of you will betray me. In verse 19, they began to be sorrowful. Every one of them. All of their hearts sank. They thought, Which of us is gonna break the trust with Jesus? You know, Rembrandt, a great artist, actually had his first masterpiece was a painting of Judas. And it's uh, of the account that's not in this particular passage, but labeled in other ones where Judas uh, sold, you know, basically Jesus over to the religious leaders for 30 pieces of silver, and after Jesus is kind of betrayed, Judas is it's told of in the accounts of the Gospels and Acts that Judas returns the money to the religious leaders. And Rembrandt actually painted that. That was his first great work. And there's a lot of mystery surrounding why did he paint that? Well, the, the note for it is not that he painted it. He actually painted that picture from the Gospels and he painted his own face as Judas. He painted himself into the picture. And it created such a stir because no one still to this day, as I was reading, trying to figure out, okay, what, what made him suit? So, you know, you want to go, okay, did he have guilt? Did he have, there, there's mystery surrounding. Why did he paint, not just paint that scene, but paint himself into the portrait? It's because he, like us, need to know that we are that man. We all have that heart of betrayal. We all have that heart to be loyal to something else besides Jesus. Even if we say Jesus is is the way, the truth, the life, what really comes out when our affections are stirred? When, When those things that we really long for are taken away, what do we see? What do we have left? We see that with Judas often because in these passages like this one and others, when they're gathered around meals, it's Judas who's the one who says, wait, wait, don't. When that woman, we even did this passage in our Encounters with Jesus series where a woman came and, 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 and put her perfume on Jesus' feet, which was so expensive. And one of the voices, one of the main voices was Judas to say, why in the world would you waste it on that? This could be sold to the poor. And why was he saying it? Because every time he was the treasurer, he would dip his hand in and take money out. The ministry of Jesus funded his own needs and desires and works. Betrayal comes easier when it feeds your life. It comes easy when you really see what are you loyal to? What are you, when, it, when it really comes down to it. We just saw that story of this wonderful woman who is suffering from a tumor in her head. When you're in those moments, when you're faced with the reality of the things that that really cut you to the core, what do you find that you're loyal to? What do you find that heals you? What gives you something? Are we workaholics simply because we work a lot? I think it's easy in many cases, why is it in so many interviews that people say their biggest weakness is I overwork? Why do we herald that? Because it's something that gives back to us. Judas doesn't think Jesus can give back. He gives to him what he needs to make him himself, build up his own power, build up his, himself through his own gifts, through his own skills. And he gets nothing in return. Look, at, I'll, I'll look at pornography here or there. It's not really doing anything in my life. But when it comes down to it, what do we, why do we say those kind of things? We say those kind of things because we go to those avenues because we think that is the most loyal thing to my heart. Jesus can't be that loyal in the spaces in between. He's loyal on Sundays, he's loyal on the big moments, maybe. But is he loyal at every moment? We betray in our hearts because we think we can live two lives. We think, as long as I can keep my GPA up, as long as I can keep my job going, as long as I can keep the success rolling in, it really doesn't matter what else I do with myself. What are we really loyal to? Where is our heart, really? Like, one of the the greatest people on betrayal is William Shakespeare. I love Shakespeare. One of his famous you know, plays, Julius Caesar, et tu, Brute, you know, everybody, people quote it, and you, Brutus, essentially the, the play. If you haven't read it, I'm sure, hopefully, all of you have. It's like a staple in English literature. But this play is particularly Julius Caesar in the height of Rome and his people, and particularly Brutus, one of his own, end up murdering him in order to, quote, take, you know, help Rome take the capital, right? And in that moment when he sees Brutus actually a part of those conspirators who takes his life, he looks at him and he says, Etu, Et and you, Brutus? I saw a great commentary on Shakespeare and his, his theme and thread of betrayal in here. All through the plays, there are minor acts of betrayal as well. It's often said that Shakespeare, he knew the human heart and that no human motives can be hidden from him. It is interesting that so many of his characters commit acts of betrayal. It's something that demonstrates how deeply embedded the impulse to betrayal is in the nature of human beings. Look, why am I focused on this? I'm focused on this because I think our hearts need to be honest. If we are actually going to know that we have hope and not lose heart, we have to admit that we are betrayers. We have to admit that everyone at that table with Jesus said, "Is it I?" No one knew. They had no clue. Even when it says "They dipped into the dish with me," he said, "The one who dips in the dish, they had all already dipped their bread into that fruit puree that they would have." To commemorate this, that, that the betrayal was a part of them, they thought, "Oh my word, who is it? Is it me?" They were worried because they knew the constitute of their own hearts. Look, we can't learn to trust Jesus unless we know what we trust. And there's so many things we're loyal to. There's so many things I know I'm loyal to. To protect my own self, my own interests, my own kingdom, my own loyalties, my own life, my own things around me. And to give Jesus that is scary, to actually look at him and say, the things that you've given me, think about Judas, think about this for a second, walking with him through ministry for for years, not just months, living and patterning his entire life around the teachings and work of Jesus. And even doing the acts of ministry, the places where we think we're the safest, And yet, that is where the deepest, darkest places of disloyalty lie, because it builds us up. In anything else other than Him, anything else than what that Passover meal was constituted for, to commemorate the fact that the blood of Jesus is the only thing that separates us. It's not carrying the title of Christian, it's not being in a church on a Sunday, it's not those things, it is only the blood That does it. That is what distinguished the people of Israel. That's it. And that is so hard for us to trust that it has to be someone else's blood. It has to be someone else's body that's given. And that is the Passover lamb. We betray, but we need to know that we trust Jesus. Here's the difference. Notice here, even the teacher says, where is my guest room? Where is the Passover with my disciples? Verse 14 draws this out. It's kind of this ambiguous language. And what was going on there was Jesus knew he was a marked man. He, there was a target on his back. So he sent his disciples out to find a room for them to do the Passover. As they came in that, <clears throat> that language and they had the Passover meal... And it says, it was, and it, when it was evening, he came with the twelve. There is, again, a reminder that Judas is a part of the twelve. And they were reclining at table and eating. And he said, truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. And as he began to talk about this, it's, if you do a study about Judas in his life and what he viewed Jesus as, you think about, he didn't just do ministry, he followed Jesus' ministry. Uh, Let's step back for a moment and remind ourselves, how intimate is this meal here? If there is one place that shows loyalty and commitment, it's gathered around the table in these these moments. Meals in the ancient Near East weren't just, hey, come to my home. Now, we get a sense of that. If you invite someone to your home, you have them for dinner, there's an intimacy there. There's some sort of connection. For them, it was even more so. It was a a loyalty. There was a trust built. And for Jesus actually to say this at any meal, more or less the Passover meal where it described God's faithfulness was saying there is a huge intimacy issue. That Jesus' deep loving care for his disciples is about to be broken and they cannot believe it. And here's the marker though. If you look at Judas up to this point, if you read of his following Jesus. Think about hes He knows the storms that Jesus has calmed. He's been at the places where the people were super hungry, and they needed food, and watched as 5,000, 4,000 men and women and children were fed over and over until they were full. He's seen those things. He's been at the places where Jesus has healed lepers. He's He's not only done ministry, he's followed, he's experienced it, he's taken it in. And yet every moment when Judas calls Jesus something, he never calls him Lord. It's, the, it's, a, it's a fascinating study. If you look, all the other, many of the other disciples are calling him Lord, the Christ. But Judas always calls him rabbi, teacher. Because to Judas, he will always be the greatest teacher he ever had. And that is a warning for us to think, okay, how do we trust Jesus? Do we trust him more than just being a great teacher? Now, this may be an old argument for some of you. It's not old here. This is a reality for us that we may think, he is the greatest instructor I have ever had. Maybe you have followed him in a sense where you say, he instructs my life. He's given me incredible wisdom, impeccable truth, but he is not the Lord of me. You may trust him but do you trust in him do you put your trust wholly in him and he is worth trusting Alexander Solzhenitsyn said this about our hearts he said the line separating good and evil where does it pass it passes through every human heart That means that in all of us is this heart of betrayal and yet the only one that can actually penetrate that isn't ourselves it's the one that has to go beyond that we live in a world where we believe that we can we can take in truth and do what we need with it manipulate it how we can i've been around some of the greatest minds that describe and even teach from the bible and new testament in different academic settings and yet they would claim that they have no real relationship and connection to Jesus at all. Why is that? Because he can be an incredible instructor of morality and truth and yet never be the one we put our entire trust in. See, Judas was for sale. What really drew out Judas was his affections. What really draws out your loyalty, what is it? What is it in betrayal? It draws out what you really love. You know when you get angry about something? You find out what you really, anger isn't just that you hate. Anger actually points to what you deeply care about. And when Jesus pushes on Judas throughout this ministry, don't you wonder how many times Judas was like, this is great and all, but I don't know if I can really swallow this I mean maybe his truth is is wonderful maybe his teaching is incredible maybe the miracles and the things that he performed was unbelievable but is it something that transforms our life to trust in him see betrayal comes where our affections really lie what causes you to get angry what are the things you are most defensive about that you guard, that you're most loyal to. Because Jesus is going to ask, and I'm sure he did then, and I'm sure Judas felt this. Jesus may ask you to do things or think of things that you do not want to do, that don't fit in your paradigm, that build you up or line your pockets. Jesus is not about making you successful. He's not about fulfilling your dreams, but he will never betray you. He's not about you being the best looking that you've ever been. He's not as interested in that. You may not be. You may not have the life that you always had. You may not have those things that you laid out in front of you, but you know what? He will never, ever be disloyal to you. And that's the crux of what Judas had. Jesus over and over said things and did things he couldn't believe. One of, the thong- one of the songs that really draws out the fact that affections, I'm a huge Justin Timberlake fan. Cry Me a River, can we not, we won't sing it together. Listen to what, listen to what Justin, JT, as he's known, says in Cry Me a River. He says, you were my son, you were my earth, but you didn't know all the ways I loved you now. So you took a chance and made other plans, but I bet you didn't think they would come crashing down. Think about what he's saying there. What are the things that your affections make at the sun and the earth? Think about how much of creation we worship. We've been studying the minor prophets in our our men's Bible study. And the minor prophets are set up in a way of almost like you're in a courtroom where where it's set up to say, hey, how, are you, how have the people of God been disloyal? You know what the number one witness that is called to the stand against the people of God about it? It's creation. It's creation. And creation is the witness to say, we are not meant to be worshipped. Worship belongs to God. Why did we even read that this morning in our call to worship? Mountains, sing praise to God. And yet, everything else around us, we want to give loyalty to. We are going to fight because we think anything that infiltrates our affections, that's the betrayer. But Jesus is saying, no. Those things will always have their own agenda. They will always have an agenda to leave you destroyed. If you give your ultimate affections, your ultimate, ultimate affections to those things, they will always leave you wanting. And you will, just like Crimea River ends, it ends with him saying, oh, it's gonna come back to you. You deserve this. Is it? What's the difference between the gospel of grace and being someone on that end? Maybe you are that person who has been on the end of betrayal. And look, I don't say that lightly. I I, I think there, I, I mean, in our room, I'm sure in some way, whether it's through a marriage, through finances, through family, whatever it is, friendship, work, you have maybe received or even been the perpetrator of deliberate disloyalty. And why is Jesus worth trusting? Because you know what? And this is what so many commentators say about this passage. Jesus is incredibly kind to Judas, even in his last hours. He doesn't even call Judas out. If you had a betrayer, a perpetrator in this, you, you call him out. You say, There's a betrayer in the room, get him. Jesus knew jesus has bigger plans he knows the only way to die for those others in the room who would deny him peter right after this in the passage in mark is told he's going to deny him three times three times how do we know we can trust jesus because he holds both his mission of going to the cross and us as His greatest affection. You want to know something powerful? Who is the Passover lamb with blood and body? It's Jesus Himself. Notice there's not even a discussion of the lamb on the table because the lamb is setting the table. The one who would receive all of those who are both betrayers and will betray others and be betrayed. This is the Savior of them. He goes to the cross without flinching because he knows that if he doesn't, betrayers like you and me won't have trust. I want to call this again of from the wounded heart from this passage that he says, regardless, uh, regarding. Um, those who have received this in God's relationship. Most assume that trust is quiet, serene, selfless, dependence on God that's in somewhat false trust. Genuine trust involves another to to matter and to have impact in our lives. For that reason, many who hate and do battle with God trust Him more deeply than those who are complacent Because those who trust most are those who faith permits them to risk wrestling with him over the deepest questions of life. Good hearts are captured in a divine wrestling match. Fearful, doubting hearts sometimes stay clear from the mat. But the price of soul freedom is the loss of what has been deemed most secure, our affections. But it is intuitively known as no security at all this one is worth trusting because he cares for you more than you would ever know. He lays his life down for you. Look, this passage is a difficult one because it ends with something that is really hard. I'm not about to be able to unpack that here and in a moment now. It's something maybe you can write it on the, even the pad in the back and we can discuss it later. There's a deep tension here about what what goes on with Judas. And all I'll say is we know that in this passage at the end it discusses a man who is held accountable for his responsibility and yet God is at work all behind it to send his own son to do this work. There's a tension in there. And yet Jesus comes into the tension to save betrayers. If you really see your betrayal, if you really know it, it would be easy to run to guilt or shame because isn't that what happens to Judas? Right after this, he leaves that room and he begins falling deeper and deeper and deeper into the darkness abyss, which would even end in him taking his own life. And yet, where does Jesus go? Where does he pursue? For those of us who know we are like Judas. Death. Jesus pursues betrayers even into the darkest depths of shame. It is so easy for those of us in this room, if we really understand that we're a betrayer, if you really get it, to run first to guilt or shame because then you can figure out how do I get out from underneath this? How do I feel better about what I've done? Or how do I feel better about someone who has perpetrated me other than avoiding or talking about it? How do I know it's been dealt with? You have a God who actually does the work. He sets the table with himself. One of my favorite, if not my favorite band, U2, has a song about Judas. And listen to how they end this song. It's called The End of the World. says, in my dream, I was drowning in sorrows. This is from the perspective of Judas. But my sorrows, they learned to swim, surrounding me, going down on me, spilling over the brim. Isn't that what it feels like? Waves of regret and waves of joy. I reached out for the one I tried to destroy. And you, you said you'd wait to the end of the world. Jesus is the one, and they leave enough mystery in that song for us to not know what's going on with Judas, as do the scriptures. But Jesus is the one who says, I have overcome the world. I don't know what you think might keep you from this table, because you're a betrayer like me. Who did he invite to the table? Even Judas. This table is for you and for me. And when you taste this wine and you taste this bread, you cannot come to this table thinking that in any way you have absolved your guilt by doing something. It is only the marker, the magnifying glass of the one who has done the work and laid himself here for you. It is Jesus, not the wine, not the bread of actually doing it, the one whose blood and body it is. That's your distinction. Not that you're a betrayer. And not that you're a victim, but you have someone who's gone to you in every space to rescue.